Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Colin Munns, and we're off and running. And welcome back, Ian. Great, welcome to, great back. to see you. Oh, man, quite the week for me this week. Uh, if anybody has been following along our Twitter or our Instagram, thanks to producer Kennedy putting the nice screen grab on there. Uh, big week for me. Second knee surgery of 2020. Just add it to your 2020 bingo card. Uh, I mean, I've been told that your knee looks similar to a subway map for New York City, so uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it uh, luckily isn't as crazy bad in terms of uh, what it looks like as it did last time. It actually does look like I have a leg still. Uh, after my first knee surgery, you look down at my leg and it just looked like a, a, a large blown up piece of skin, basically. Uh, but I do now have a lot of different... Uh, scars and holes in there so you know just some fun stories to tell the grandkids about one day well i i want to give you the the big honor and and i haven't even told producer kennedy about this but uh i wanted to bestow the uh, cutback podcast comeback player of the year award <laughs> upon you uh today so i'm happy to have you here and and ready to get back to work I feel like Greg Jennings in that uh, classic Madden YouTube video. The determination, no. <laughs> he broke his leg, though. <laughs> Just doing my part. Another, hey, Greg Jennings is from Kalamazoo. I'm, I'm sitting about 10, 15 miles outside of Kalamazoo now, just channeling his inner, uh, putting the team on his back, doughness, I suppose. I, I mean, are they going to put the statue of you right next to Gre- the statue of Greg, Jen- Greg Jennings in uh, Kalamazoo? <sighs> Shit, I mean depending on how many more hundreds of thousands of listeners we get on this podcast, they might have to, they might not have a choice. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands. We <laughs> might have more cutback pod listeners than Greg Jennings has fans. Oh, I mean, that's a tough bar to set. Greg Jennings is a legend in, in Kalamazoo parts, Kalamazoo central, Western Michigan played for the Packers. Unfortunately, we're, we're coming for Packers nation. That's Super what Bowl our champ. fan base is getting to. We're getting to <laughs> Packers nation size. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Once soon we'll be a publicly owned, you know, we just, we'll, we'll have shareholders like the Packers. I've been, I've been drafting our IPO. So uh, <laughs> get ready for that folks. Perfect. Now, so I mean, let, let's just jump right into it. Now, one of the biggest, the biggest news stories of the week, really, and, and you're living it every single day, as is producer Kennedy, is minor league baseball. All the teams came out, uh, the major league teams came out and officially announced their um, four affiliates that they will have going forward in the new kind of revamped minor league baseball structure. So first, congratulations are in order uh, to producer Kennedy and our friends at the Eugene Emeralds, as Hell well yeah. as yourself and the Stanky P. Not only both made the cut, but both also got promoted a level up to uh, high A baseball here. We did. Uh, both the Emeralds and, and the Peoria Chiefs will be playing at high the high A level, uh, which uh, I, I know you kind of foreshadowed a possible imminent showdown uh, between the Emeralds and Chiefs. Uh, and I just – I don't know if the Emeralds are ready for that heat yet. <laughs> Do you have any idea – because – are there going to now be what's the like league structure like within these different divisions now? It's very similar to to what it was in the past. Um, I, as so, the Peoria Chiefs were in the Midwest League uh, before. Uh, Bowling Green was in the Midwest League with us before. They have now transitioned to I believe the Mid Atlantic League uh, and are going to play um, there. And but our league essentially is still the Midwest League. Um, but it's now 12 teams instead of 16. Uh, so it's just kind of a contraction. Some teams obviously are no longer with us. Some move to, uh, to another league. 
Uh, and that's kind of been what you've seen across all the leagues at all the levels, uh, even all the way up to triple A. Um, you've seen teams moving up and down. Example, San Antonio used to be a triple A team. They've now transitioned into the Texas League, which is a double A league, uh, home of the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Uh, had to just shamelessly plug them since we've had guests and former employees of the Sod Poodles. Uh, but you just kind of seen kind of a shuffling around, but the actual leagues themselves um, are still there. They just moved up or down a level. So as before, I guess, pre-2020 COVID uh, restructure, your champions come from the league within the double A, high A, A, triple A division, not necessarily having a, this is the minor league champion of all double A baseball. Correct. You're, you're in your own league and, and it's more geographically concentrated now, I would tell you, uh, you, you Bowling Green leaving the Midwest league, uh, just because they're so far removed from the other teams in the Midwest league, it just made more sense to, to move them to a, another league entirely, uh, to cut down on travel and cut down on, on expenses for minor league teams. So, um, it, I think it's kind of cool. It creates new rivalries, creates you know new matchups between teams, and gets you to see some teams that you haven't. Um, but all in all, I think it's just an honor to be to be part of the one hundred and twenty. One hundred and twenty. It's a hell of a club to be in. Congratulations to you, the Chiefs, producer Kennedy, and all of our friends uh, out in Eugene in the Emeralds front office. It seems like maybe so. Then the only potential opportunity for chiefs players and emeralds players would be in some sort of high a all-star game between the leagues within high a is that right you right that yes that's essentially would be the case i haven't heard of anything like that going on just yet uh in the past you know it would be um you would have the all-star game for the texas league or the all-star game for the northwest league and so it would be just the all-stars in that particular league um i haven't heard or, or haven't seen anything about all-star games happening at a league-wide level um, I, so I don't really know how that's going to shake out, but yes, that would be the ultimate imminent showdown. Um, however, if you, if the, uh, giants were to promote somebody, there are other leagues at the double a level that could interact with, you know, the Cardinals teams at the double a level and so on and so forth down the chain. So there are chances at different levels that these players match up, but just not here. Right. And I I think one important thing for us to get across, um, as people may wonder why, why is it a big deal to maybe be promoted from short season A as the Emeralds were, or uh, kind of low A as the Chiefs were into this high single A, it's really just because you're going to get better prospects and have better players on the field. So although in minor league baseball, you are kind of always selling entertainment and and a family entertainment option, uh, it obviously becomes a little bit more fun to sell and easier to sell if you know you're going to have better prospects on the field and allow fans to come in and see some uh, hypothetically higher level baseball with guys who are closer to ending up on the major league teams. And I and I want to kind of just make a quick comment on that because it's it's really yes you should never I stand by this and probably will continue to stand by this you should never tie your entire marketing experience to the major league club. Although the new agreement kind of, you know, makes it easier to because they're longer term deals and all of that. But that's another conversation for another time. Uh, I don't believe you should tie yourself to the players on the field at the minor league level. That's my blanket statement. And I will stand to that. However, um, as somebody who left the Emerald or was working with the Eugene Emeralds at the time, they were a short season uh, team and then went to Amarillo 
which is a double A team. So at the time, that's three levels higher um, of play on the field. Um, it was amazing. Just the is somebody who likes watching baseball and enjoys it. It was extremely noticeable the difference in talent from the short season level to double A. It was like the pop off the bat. Just the sheer defensive play is leaps and bounds better. Um, but it's really interesting to see how much there actually is a disparity in talent from those two levels. So um, I, I think it ultimately is a win for both of our communities that we moved up uh, a level because the talent does indeed get better. And I think also that there's this phenomenon too, where there's a lot more roster movement at the lower levels, short season, a the Emeralds might have a guy on the roster for two weeks and then they might be gone because they're either caught and out of minor league baseball altogether, or they might be gone because they're getting moved up. Hypothetically, as you get closer to the big league team. So now you're in high a, you might have a chance to kind of have that whole team together for the entire season that allows the community to maybe uh, get more ties to specific players and have kids have favorite players on the team because they're just seeing more familiar faces. Yes, I, I think you are going to see longer stints on on teams, but I also think you're going to see, I think gone are the days where you have a 27, 28-year-old guy on a single-A team. I think yeah. that I think those days are behind us now. Um, I think this... Uh, kind of set up the the death knell for that group, if you will. If you're not at the double A level by 26 or 27, you're probably time to hang it up, cowboy. Like that's kind of the message. That's kind of the message that's getting across. <laughs> the big league club is going to kick you out the door and no longer allow you to let yourself just uh, ride a bus around the country and play minor league baseball for minimum wage and try and make it work. But so so we've talked about a lot of the good things that have happened. Obviously, good things have happened with all of the teams that that we are close with. Um, unfortunately though, like you said, the club kind of got cut down from 160 ish down to 120. So there are now 40 plus markets and teams who are, uh, somewhat out of business and without baseball. And one in particular is actually already brought a lawsuit against their parent club. So I wanted you to kind of talk through us, uh, talk us through that a little bit. The Staten Island Yankees who were once an affiliate of the New York Yankees were not selected to be one of their four affiliates going forward have kind of been left out uh, to dry per se, um, and have actually kind of filed suit against the uh, Yankees for wrongdoings. Yeah, so, I, and I know this is, I've had conversations kind of in our group chat with producer Kennedy about this, uh, and I think we kind of fall on different sides of the fence. I just, the the Staten Island deal, I think they were caught off guard, which understandably so. I, I think they didn't expect it to happen where they got left out because they've had you know, a multi, multi-year relationship with the Yankees and have been a part of the Yankees for so long. Um, but I just, I, I don't think there's any lawsuit here. Like I, the, the whole thing that he alleged was false promises that the Yankees made, um, which I don't know what false promises you have. Like, how do you remedy this situation if you're uh, a judge or a jury? Like, what is the, you can't put them in, they, there's no contract. They, they didn't have an agreement before to that the Yankees didn't uphold. There was no agreement across professional baseball. You know what I'm saying? So, well, and it seems like maybe he's talking about maybe some like backdoor verbal agreements and handshake deals that may have happened. And as we both know, like those aren't necessarily going to stand up for shit in court against a judge or a jury. So, if you don't have a contract in writing that says, "Hey, here's your official uh, player development 
license agreement and your invitation to join us as we go forward, you didn't really have an agreement to begin with. Right. And and I guess I just take take homage with uh, and you look across, you know, all of what happened to these other leagues that were contracted, like the ones who didn't fight and kind of just said, hey, you know, it was a good run. They're they're getting they're getting something, you know, they weren't just thrown to the wind. And like, there's two other partner leagues. There's the MLB draft league, which I, you know, Staten Island just said, Nope, screw you guys. We're shutting the doors. We're out. And I mean, I just don't know if that was the best course of action to take given the situation. Um, you know, but I just don't, I really don't think that I think you're just, they're sue threatening to sue just cause they're mad about what happened. And, and I know that's, high and mighty to say from a guy who works for a team that made it. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I I don't really know what they have, what leg they have to stand on legally uh, to sue the Yankees. Uh, I mean, for what, for who? Yeah. What, what's the end game? And if it's potentially hurting them from some of these other end games, you know, that's something that they'll have to deal with. Let's dive into what you spoke about. So one of the one of the things that we kind of talked about when this was first happening back in the spring is like, damn, there's a potential that we're going to have 40 plus markets that aren't really close to Major League Baseball. So minor league baseball is these communities connection points to baseball as a sport, to Major League Baseball as a league um, and to really become fans. And then obviously like revenue earners for Major League Baseball, because Major League Baseball obviously looks at fans as ways that they can generate revenue. And we're thinking and they're going to cut it down to 120. These communities are going to be left high and dry. These minor league baseball organizations who are, are a lot of times privately owned are going to be basically defunct out of business. And we didn't really hear major league baseball talk about what any potential plans would be for those who got left out. Now, as you hit on, we're seeing that there are some additional opportunities. Can you kind of run us through what these more pop-up leagues, partner leagues, the MLB draft league, what that looks like? Yeah. So, so the partner leagues and the draft league are two very separate, different things. So let's, I w- let's talk about them separately because the draft league to me is uh, a lot. There's a lot going on there that, that to unpack the partner leagues. Uh, essentially, I think I, I don't, I hope, I mean, for those listening, I work in baseball and if I get fired for this, whatever, but uh, <laughs> like essentially the major league baseball wants a monopoly on baseball in the North American continent. Like that's pretty much what their goal is. Um, And so there was, before all of this, there was these independent leagues uh, that contained, you know, that had the Sugarland Skeeters, the St. Paul Saints, those teams played in in those, uh, they're now AAA teams, but they were independent leagues. So they technically uh, were professional baseball players, seeing as they got paid to play. but they weren't affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball. Uh, so these two uh, two partner leagues, which are essentially the, the former Pioneer League and former a, uh, Appalachian APBL, uh, uh, go look up what it stands for. I can't remember what the APBL stands for. Something something Baseball League. Um, but essentially, those two partner leagues are going to transition into independent baseball. But there's going to be an oversight committee or board from major league baseball that they kind of work in tangent with each other to where MLB major league baseball gets their statistics and can kind of scout these players and everything. Uh, 
pretty much just take their data and sign them if they want. Um, but they're a non-affiliated group. So they're not connected to any team. Any team can sign a player or anything like from any team in these leagues. Um, but they, there's no affiliation at all with these Man, two. That's going to be tough because like it, you see from the major league baseball standpoint, you're like, yeah, this is great. We can kind of provide some oversight. Maybe we can have kind of a group that maybe helps with some business operations, some marketing, kind of like a, like the team bow operations groups that we see in like the NBA league office, stuff like that. And of course then major league baseball is like, well, shit, if there's some guys tolling around in this partner league and they're playing well, we can maybe draft them or, or sign them to contracts, do whatever. But from the standpoint of the organizations that are in those partner leagues, now you're having to pay for those players where uh, prior the major league baseball club is paying for your players that you have now you're on your own you got to go out and you got to do the scouting you got to sign guys it adds to your cost um in a business that already a lot of times runs on pretty razor thin margins so i would assume like it feels like to me it's going to be tough for some of these organizations to even capitalize on this potential opportunity oh no doubt i mean it's tougher for sure Uh, i mean it's just really the only difference truly is you're just not being able to share costs with the major league club i mean you you described it beautifully um you have to run the whole operation yourself but i would say it happened it's happened before i mean look at the ski look at the sugarland skeeters st paul saints these teams wouldn't be around unless it was you know a sustained it was a business model that could be sustained and you're i would argue i think two things one it goes back to that whole point of you should never tie your marketing and your experience to the team, to the major league club, because now these teams that didn't tie their stuff to the major league club and tied it to the experience they provided, they can just keep going, like keep on sailing. Like you just keep going and you, yeah, you have a little more expense and your margin may get a little thinner, but you were doing fine. Like you were operating fine before, like keep going. But if you tied yourself to the major league club, you know, then you've got more problems because you've got, dissonance with your fans and you may lose more that way point two and i don't want to there are going to be teams that don't make it like there are there there's going to be teams that don't operate well but i also think you you mentioned like the whole point was to keep baseball in these communities and and i think you you gave the these teams you didn't tell these teams you're done sorry pack up bye you you don't you can they openly are inviting them to compete and keep baseball going in those communities and if the community is starved just put on a product and people will come like it's all it goes back to you just keep creating that experience keep selling what got you there why you're minor league baseball you know um so i think yeah there won't be some teams that make it but i I ultimately think it's better than being told hey we're gonna we're major league baseball we have the monopoly uh, we're going to hold you out altogether and hold you under until you go under. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's like may- maybe they're not going to be helping them as much as they were when they were minor league clubs, uh, obviously with like the player cost, but they also aren't doing what they have the ability to do in that saying like basically cease and desist. We're not even going to allow you to play baseball because we own baseball in North America. So it's like it's not the best of the best. It's certainly not the worst of the worst. And the organizations that are uh, good, and have those fan bases and are able to connect with them are going to find a way to make it happen. 
let's touch on the major league uh, draft league because this one is, is kind of seemingly brand new uh, and has some interesting implications with some of the collegiate wood bat leagues that are already in existence and have quite a bit of tradition and prestige already. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of why I want to talk, you know, I, I said at the outset of this that uh, major league baseball wants the monopoly on, on baseball in North America. And this draft league um, is a direct shot at the Cape Cod league. Uh, I mean, just straight square between the eyes shot at the Cape Cod League, um, which is for those just real quick. Cape Cod League is a pretty much a college. It's one of the oldest college wood bat leagues. Uh, it's like officially sanctioned by the NCAA that players can go play in this and have no effect on their amateur status or eligibility or none of that. It's basically just a league these guys go play in and major league scouts go there every year. In all team, all the teams are on Cape Cod. I mean, it's like, and they travel around. It's it's a cool situation, but it's basically right before you're getting drafted, only the best players in the world in high school or or wherever, right before you're getting drafted, all play in this league. And it's basically like a showcase within a 50 mile radius of the best young talent in the world in the country. And Major League Baseball is putting together a draft league, and it's consisting of a bunch of teams that got cut that got left out uh most notably in my opinion is the trenton thunder the other the team that was cut by the yankees who kept their mouth shut and and didn't threaten to sue everybody they got filed a lawsuit (laughs) yeah yeah. they they were the ones who got included in this uh in this draft league um but it's essentially going to turn into a college wood bat league where it's literally only the best prospects are invited to come play for these teams and and college wood bat league off we go for a whole month and it leads up to the draft so you're essentially you're watching these guys play all in the same location it's supposedly going to be televised it i think it's going to be very they're attempting to make like an nfl combine with with major league baseball like here are the guys that are going to get drafted these are the future this is what you have to watch you know like and, and so will it work i don't know but uh will it successfully kill college wood bat everywhere else I don't know, but it's definitely going to decrease the talent uh, of people that are playing in the Cape Cod League in other college wood bat leagues around the country. Well, that's the thing, too, because a lot of people know about the Cape Cod League if they follow baseball, because like we said, it, it has a lot of name prestige. A lot of top Major League Baseball players have come through the Cape Cod League. The teams that are in the Cape Cod League are almost it's almost like little league teams, and they've been around for you know, 50, 60 years. Oh, longer than that. We're, we got teams been there over a hundred years. And it, like you said, it's in new England on the Cape, obviously. Um, but there is also a plethora of other college wood bat leagues, uh, for college players who aren't playing in Cape Cod. There's leagues in Texas, there's leagues out in Oregon, you know, Clackamas has a team or whatever there's, or Klamath falls, there's leagues out in Alaska. So it's like, because Major League Baseball is putting in their draft league, not only does that seemingly hurt the Cape Cod League, but then the ball just keeps keeps rolling down the hill and is going to kind of uh, dilute the talent that's available at all of these secondary and, and thirdary, uh, tertiary, tertiary but, <laughs> wood bat leagues down the road, right? But okay, so let me ask you this. I feel like there's there's a problem that's stacking up here because we're we added another league to the top of this t- talent pool at high school, right? But I, I, you got to be backfilling it with talent. 
Like, and I just feel like your marketing plan is baseball. We've been completely ignoring up until, I don't know, the last three years, been completely ignoring the youth movement, actually trying to get people to play baseball. I would argue that your talent pool, and it's not just baseball, it's all sports, fewer people are playing. There's less talent in your pool to pick from. So I, I argue that the, 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 the end result is you're going to end up losing some of these college wood bat leagues because you're just adding more talent instead of diluting it. Your talent pool is actually shrinking and, and getting diluted. Yeah. And I mean, this will be something that we'll maybe have to dive into at a different time where we can do a little bit more research behind it. But it makes me think about kind of like perfect game baseball uh, in USA baseball and, and kind of just the combine status or the combine kind of structure that has worked its way into youth and travel baseball as well, which then comes with higher barriers to entry uh, and kids who are like not playing in those specific teams and leagues like the area code games, you know, those kids now aren't going to college. So kids are like, well, if, if I'm not in on this 11, U perfect, perfect game team, then I might as well quit playing baseball. And then you get to your exact point where it's like, well, we basically pick who the players are going to be when they're 10 and 11. And yeah, every once in a while we'll have a stud who starts playing a sport baseball or any sport really at, as a junior in high school and they, and they crush it and they, they work their way into the system. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on there. I guess I was it's kind very of similar to AAU. What you just described exactly. is, is it's the AAU exactly. model. And, and I would argue that the AAU model is collapsing on itself right before our eyes. But yeah, yep. another conversation for another time. Yeah, and that we can throw in seven on seven uh, football and and what's that what that is doing at the oh, youth level. I know you're a big fan of the Nike Elite Camp. <laughs> <laughs> Those will be a good conversations for us to have here. See, here we go. We're, we're we're creating outlines for future episodes within episodes. That's that's uh really doing it. That's how you. Do that's it. that's what we do on this show. We literally <laughs> go on tangents and then we make ourselves table them because nobody uses the damn pause button in our listening base, <laughs> and they don't let us go. We have to cut ourselves off. That's true. Let's uh let's hit one more work topic here, um, because this was something that I kind of just thought about off the top of my head, uh, wondering about Under Armour. We had talked about Under Armour, you know, Ooh. a couple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had talked about them a couple months ago with uh, UCLA actually, like kind of or Under Armour suing UCLA, UCLA suing Under Armour, one of those. Um, and just wondering what it is is going on with Under Armour. I noted that you kind of see, especially with UCLA on their football and basketball jerseys, they were placing uh, kind of social justice patches on their jerseys, uh, coincidentally on top of the Under Armour patches. So on, on their basketball and football jerseys, you didn't actually see that they were affiliated with Under Armour. And then bam, all of a sudden, uh, earlier this week, UCLA announces a new apparel partnership with Nike and Jordan brand. So I guess the ultimate question here is, is Under Armour dead? Is yes. Under Armour done? Done. Cooked. Just put a I, fork in. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, like, I'm going to go to the old classic. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's <laughs> probably a duck. Like, I, I, this, they, I just, it screams everything about what's going on with Under Armour. Where have they been? Like, period. Where have they been? You've seen Nike and Adidas in on tv you've seen them i mean i know everybody's struggling but i think under armor has lost their pulse um and it I just doesn't seem like they have a direction at all of where they're going um which we can you know kind of go back 
I think Under Armour got away from what got them to where they were. Like, I, I think they didn't dance with the girl that brought them. Like, I think is essentially what happened. Uh, but anyway, that's a different, another different conversation for a different time. I just think now they're trying to dig out of the hole during a global pandemic and it's not working. Yeah, it really started, I guess, what, maybe like a year and a half ago for them when they actually pulled out of the Major League Baseball apparel deal. Under Armour had won the deal with Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball was moving away from Majestic as like their official apparel provider and jersey uh, like creator. Under Armour won that bid, seemed like, oh shit, Under Armour's like making big moves. Um, this was like on the heels of Nike getting the NBA deal and Adidas getting NHL. Um, and then all of a sudden, Nike, uh, Under Armour kind of quietly pulls out. Nike slides themselves in. We saw Nike swooshes on the Major League Baseball jerseys this year. Then we start to hear Under Armour trying to pull out of some of their high-profile, high-money, expensive apparel deals in college. I saw like Texas Tech basketball players are wearing like old Nike Hyper Dunks with like the Nike swooshes basically like bleached out, but they're definitely not wearing Under Armour shoes. Um, it, Does it's this just not crazy. cream like uncut gyms to you? Like this just feels like that that Adam Sandler movie, the uncut gyms, where he's just like, I, I got all the money in the world. I'm you know I'm Under Armour. I'm like Nike. Look at me. And then like behind the scenes, they're pulling out of a lot of things that require money and. Cool. And what I just wonder, like, okay, so they announced that they're going to attempt to build this entire line around Steph Curry, Curry, a la Michael Jordan. And we've already seen that anytime Under Armour releases a new Curry basketball shoe, the internet roasts them because the shoes are always just terrible. Like, they they just look terrible. So you don't even ever know if they actually perform well or not because they just look horrific. Um, and then you realize, well, they have like Tom Brady deals. They have Bryce Harper deals. Would you even know that? Does anybody even know that they have athlete deals with those? Those are two pretty big names. I, big I honestly didn't know they had Bryce Harper. I didn't know they had TB12, but I, I didn't know they had Bryce Harper. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You would never know. Uh, yeah. I mean, what did they, but they're, they haven't done anything. I feel like Bryce Harper is one of the most marketable people in yeah. baseball. I mean, yeah. I maybe he's maybe he's not the top, but he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of marketable people in baseball. Well, when we think about uh, like right now, who's a big name in baseball because of the kind of their personality, the way that they're carrying themselves, Trevor Bauer, right? Trevor Bauer dominates social media. He re and he's doing it all himself and with a small team um, doing doing really well and, and kind of getting props for being outspoken against Major League Baseball and just having fun with the fans and having fun with players. That has been Bryce Harper since he was 16 years old. He's yeah. always been that kid. And uh, Under Armour, like, either maybe didn't, like, empower him to do that or at least didn't, like, capitalize on him being that kind of ball of fire and ball of energy that especially the youth fans would would gravitate towards. Um, and it, I don't think it's hurt Bryce Harper in any way. Like, people still like Bryce Harper. He's signed a massive contract. He's going to be just fine. But Under Armour certainly missed out on the opportunity the people in Philadelphia are going to be throwing batteries at Bryce Harper, like for the next 10 years or something. I heard but, they might be signing Dombrowski. That's a bad idea. Oh, let, 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 ooh. <laughs> I, I, I was going to text you about that last night, but uh, I, I don't know. I just uh, thought there was other things going on. <laughs> <laughs> All but, I know uh, is Dombrowski loves to spend money and I'm not sure that the Phillies are in a position to do so. So best of luck, bud. Uh, hey, he took y'all to a world series. It's true. We got swept, so, but we were there. Uh, we were and there. now, if anybody wants to go look at Miguel Cabrera's contract, 
uh, they can do that. I love Miggy, but that one hurts. I got to say, uh, and I know people love MLB The Show talk on, on the show, so I'm going to give them some. Uh, I took over the Detroit Tigers and MLB The Show. First thing I did was trade Mingy away because that contract is uh, atrocious. You must have must have had the uh, computer settings pretty friendly for a team to accept that one. <laughs> I had to give away the farm to get somebody to take him. Like, listen, I'll give you everything you want. You just have to take him as well. Right. I Yeah, it was bad. Uh, bad deal, but I could not – could not put him on the books. It, it's that bad. Well, and this Dombrowski thing fits into something that we've talked about a little bit where it's like, it almost seems like once you get to a certain level within running a team from, from the uh, team side of things. So if you're a GM, you're a president of football ops or baseball ops, basketball ops, all, all these things, player personnel, it's like you almost can't fail too much to not be given another chance because owners are just so like, uh, they're so afraid to give somebody new a shot. They want to give somebody a shot who's done it before. It's such a good old boys club, dude. It's it's such a it's and it's bad in football too. How many chances has Greg Williams got? Like, good God! I remember watching Greg Williams on uh, which Hard Knocks was it with the Browns? Yeah. I mean, how many years ago was that? And then this guy shows up again last week with the most moronic last play I've ever seen. To barely to to keep the Jets from winning a game, like how does he still have a job? Like we, you're telling me there's no fresh talent, no young people out there who could say, "Hey, uh, let's not go cover zero on the last <laughs> play of a game." Like there's nobody with a brain out there that was born after 1970 that could say that. Uh, let, and let's not for the, forget, this is the same Greg Williams of Bounty Gate fame in New Orleans. So it's oh, like, we're counting why, lots why, of strikes why, here. But it's, it's to your point, like, it's such a good old boys club. This guy has been bad after bad after bad after bad, and he still had a job up until this week. Yeah, and not just any jobs, high-paying upper echelon jobs it's not like Jobs he's rolling you around. and i would kill for <laughs> yeah he's not rolling around as the qc having to cut tape and make make a play wristbands and hold up the scout team cards when sleeping under a desk working 13 <laughs> hour days for eight months a year no he's yeah. not doing that at all he's oh it's terrible dude it, not uh, not sleeping on the air mattress in the uh in the kind of uh, made up training That's table you, in the hotel. You need to go back to that level. That should be your punishment. You need to go back to that and remember how you got here. Who's who you fleeced that got you to the upper echelon. So we need a relegation system, is what you're saying. Yeah, if that'll get us out of this old boys club we're in now. <laughs> and 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 look, like, all right, we're going down the tangential road, but I want to say it. Like this whole women movement, I'm a hundred percent behind it because it's fresh effing blood like i don't yes like i'm a man and i'm a white man at that but i'm a man like and i i don't care like we need to phase in some new thought some new just new ways of the way our industry runs because it is the most outdated and old boys club we had in i've ever worked a part been a part of in any industry it's terrible yeah. And, and what's crazy too, sometimes that I realize is like, so you and I both are white males, right? And we've had the opportunity to try and bring fresh ideas and do things a little differently. And even we get shot down. So then I'm like, I can't imagine being a non-white male trying to do some of these things when 
even somebody like us who do have this like privilege of being the white male and at least looking like the rest of the people in the room get completely shot down when we try and just uh, give a little piece of advice of doing something maybe just slightly differently. Yeah, I don't know, like send a text message or read an email, like those advanced things that we're, we're trying to spring on these coaches. Like, I mean, God bless. Hey, are you guys aware of social media? Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> hey, can you use a computer? <laughs> like, can, you, I mean, these people are still working in Windows 98, I swear. Speaking of Windows 98 and people who are working very much in Windows 98, let's talk college football. <laughs> Oh God, let's talk college football. Um, I, okay, and I want to double down before we get started. I want to let everybody know I was on record, uh, I believe it was three weeks ago, saying I quit on the college football season and um, no longer thought it was a viable thing. And uh, now that Oregon lost to Cal, I am doubling <laughs> down on that. This season means absolutely nothing, and uh, all, co- all um, titles have an asterisk on them. <laughs> It's been a tough. It's been a tough year. Um, it's been a tough week, really, for Michigan fans. Uh, that kicked off with our guy Kirk Herbstreet on the college football playoff selection committee rankings reveal show. Uh, not the Tuesday we just had, but the last Tuesday, uh, where because Ohio State had just canceled their game with Illinois, everybody's like, "Well, if Ohio State has to miss another game, they're not going to be in the Big Ten championship game. Michigan's going to do it on purpose because they are scared to play them." And then. Of course, Michigan does have COVID issues, has since had to cancel the Ohio State game. People then said Kirk Herbstreit's right, confirmation bias. Of course, they just didn't want to play. They're sick of losing 18 out of 20, which we are, but that doesn't mean we wouldn't actually go play a game. Do we have to say 18 out of 20? That's so bad. Listen, we got to be realistic. We got to understand that that is the situation. And here's the crazy thing. My dad brought up to me, here's the crazy thing. You, even with these past 20 years, where it really is, I think it's like Michigan has lost 17 out of 21 and something like uh, we've only won one in 15 years or something like that, still have the series lead. I don't know how. I have no idea how you can sustain a two-decade basically L every single year and still have the uh, series well, lead. But For for all those ass whoopings we dropped on them in the 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s, but yes, sir, baby, World War II, back-to-back champs. <laughs> like God, that when you put say those numbers out loud, it just makes me sick. But um, is there any part of you? Uh, because I'll just go ahead and say it. I think Michigan was going to beat Ohio, and nobody oh. can tell me. Nobody can tell me otherwise because they're not playing the game. I think there was a chance that we played like a good quarter, but no. I mean, it was the perfect storm because in previous years. Um, including years that we were at school, the years in which we played Ohio the best were the years in which we were supposed to get beat by the most. And this was the year that we were supposed to be beat by the most of all time, like the biggest spread uh, in the game uh, in history of there being a spread for the game, right? We opened up as like 30 point underdogs. Um, so yeah, I think there would have been a chance we, we hung in for like a quarter, but I think it was going to be pretty ugly, but, but let's get to like the crux of, of the issue here. And, Uh, I think the big thing that made news was like Ohio State at the time uh, when the game was originally canceled earlier this week was looking at not being eligible for the Big Ten championship game uh, because they would not have met the kind of arbitrarily set rule at the beginning of the season that the Big Ten said that every team has to play six games to be eligible for the championship game. Ohio State would have only played five. That was going to set Indiana up to play Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. 
basically everybody freaked out. Uh, and ultimately the big 10 walked back, uh, the rule that they made, uh, back in September. So now Ohio state will be playing Northwestern in the big 10 championship game. And if they win would then hypothetically, uh, get into the college football playoff. Um, what was your thoughts as this kind of all just played out over the course of the week? Were you really surprised that this was how it played out or? Absolutely like, not. Yeah. Okay. Like not, me, I was just saying, this is what's going to happen. Okay. There's so many, just this, the fact that there's even any outrage at all is upsetting to me, but, I would agree. but, but here we go. Like let's unpack it and explain why there shouldn't be any outrage. I think it's three things. One, uh, the Big Ten put this rule in, like you said, in September. This rule was put in. Under the pressure of uh, the pandemic and the rest of college football having different moral compasses than the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and there's just a lot of moving pieces, this rule was put in for a very fluid situation to begin with. Two, um, the actual Ohio beat Indiana. So on the field, point Correct. blank, already beat Indiana. So it, what sense does it make at all to put Indiana in over a team that already beat them who's un, oh, just because of a game limit? Yes, I understand that, you know, there's more chances. If you play more games, there's more chance for you to lose, to slip up. We've seen Ohio lose to Purdue in the past. Yada, yada, yada. I hear you. Whatever. It's 2020. Take your lumps. They already beat you on the field. Shut up. Like shut up you lost uh three and and the big one to me uh is the money of all of this even as a ding ding ding. as a michigan guy i am cheering for ohio to get in because it's more money for michigan if ohio plays in the big 10 championship game and most likely wins sorry northwestern uh, it when Ohio beats you and Ohio does that, they're gonna go to the college football playoff. And what does that mean? Cut the check to Michigan, like cut the check to the Big Ten. Period. And to me, sorry, I'm going on further, but the, the to me, the real conspiracy here isn't what Ohio's doing to get in, what Ohio, the Big Ten did to get in. The conspiracy is going to be the Clemson and Notre Dame, the ACC championship game. If they had a brain, they would cancel it and not play because that would get two ACC teams in to the college football playoffs, which means twice the amount of money. Whereas if they play that game, one's going to get knocked out, period. Well, and you, you bring up a good point that I want to make sure people are under uh, aware of, right? So everybody kind of understands, oh, teams get paid for going to bowl games. They get paid for going to the college football playoff. Yes, the team does get paid, quote unquote. Who actually gets paid is the conference. It goes into the conference revenue pool. And then that pool gets evenly distributed amongst all members of the conference. So, Colin, as you say, Ohio State being in the college football playoff means cut the check to Michigan. You're absolutely right. Because what that means is, let's say Ohio State, I don't I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Let's say every team who makes the college football playoff gets a $20 million check. That $20 million goes to the Big Ten. The Big Ten cuts it into 12 pieces of equal dollar amount and sends it out to the teams so 14 uh yeah you're right actually it is 14 <laughs> okay cool all right keep going still but mild yeah. brain fog mild brain fog um <laughs> yeah fuck the the big 10 has changed so much even in the past like couple years uh but no so the the crux of the issue is the money where it's like yes 
the Big Ten wants to have a team in the college football playoff. Every conference wants to have a team in the college football playoff because it's a huge payday. It's huge national recognition. Um, and and they say it helps with recruiting. Now, this is the question I have for you. I can understand in a normal year how if you can go into recruiting and say, hey, our conference always puts a team in the college football playoff. We get that it's basically only been like one team in the conference, but like hypothetically, if you come here and you help us win a conference championship, you're probably going to the college football playoff. I can see how coaches sell that. With this year and everything that's going on, do you think that that's still even a viable argument for recruits just for this year in particular? Like if the Big Ten didn't have a representative in the college football playoff this year in 2020, do you really think it would have impacted recruiting for any of the schools at all? Because I personally don't think that in this year, like if Ohio State wouldn't have made it and and they still might not, right? Like Northwestern could shock the world, beat them, and, and a Big Ten team would then likely not be in the college football playoff. I don't see that actually hurting anybody in recruiting being like, oh, well, you know, we didn't have a team in the college football playoff this year. Yeah, I, I don't I don't even think that I would even in a normal year. I, I don't know that that I just because I think the power five carries so much cachet, even across the board. Vanderbilt rides the coattails of the SEC. If the SEC didn't, which and this isn't going to happen, but if the SEC didn't make the college football playoff this year, Vanderbilt would still be able to say, based on the history, we're in the college football playoff year well, in, year out. The Pac-12, I think, has only been in once, right, with Washington? With Washington, yeah. Got got skunked. Well, no, by... Oregon, too, 15. Oh, that's right. That's right. So th- that kind of defeats the argument. But there are conferences that have only been in one or two times. There are conferences who haven't won uh, the championship. Outside of Oklahoma, who's been in from the Big 12? Just o- Yeah, no, it's just been Oklahoma. And and then it's Michigan State was in it. Correct. Yep. One and, of the, the first year. And then Ohio has been in, obviously. I mean, there's only actually been like 10 teams who have been in this thing over the course of six, seven years. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> my point in from the ACC, Florida State, Clemson, that's two. And then uh, we're talking Bama, LSU and Georgia. Bama, LSU, Georgia. Okay. Uh, so the l- real loser here is the Big 12. I think we've got on our quick, <laughs> our quick tabulation that we just did on the air. Uh, that's the loser is the Big 12, right? I would think so. And maybe this p- plays into one of the points that you brought up where Iowa State, a two loss team, including a season opening loss to the uh, Louisiana R- Lafayette Raging Cajuns of the Sun Belt, are ranked jumped, ahead, jumped an undefeated Cincinnati team in the college football playoff rankings. Are they trying to save the Big 12 and just give them a chance if some crazy shit happens in these uh, next couple weeks of the college football season? So let's talk about this because I, and I know we're, we're, but let's just, I want to hear your thoughts on this because you bring up such a great point. So in years past, um, the committee, I think they had the, the, the luxury, the college football playoff selection committee, I think had the luxury of having so many games to, it kind of at the end of the day, it all kind of like shook itself out. Like when there was that questionable team like Cincy that was at the top, like they usually would falter at the end of the season, and the Cinderella story kind of falls short. Or or one team that's on the the edge loses in the conference championship game, and it it kind of just shook itself out to where you had a, a pretty clear top tier of the teams. And this year, with everything being so truncated, with with you know, just COVID and, and cancellation of games and this, that, and the other, 
I, you're, I think you're really seeing a lot more leaning on those style points victories than you would in normal years where, and, and I listened to a interview with Jimbo Fisher, who's head coach of Texas A&M, who's currently sitting on the outside, number five. And, and they were asking him about it, uh, about like these, they beat Texas A&M beat LSU on Thanksgiving day. Um, and they asked Jimbo, like, you didn't win, you didn't cover, and you didn't win by a lot over a bad S, uh, a bad S LSU team. You know, are you, like, worried? And he goes off on this tangent about how it's just important to win, like, games. And my argument is that's not true this year because you're seeing things like the Iowa State-Cincy deal where you're – it's you didn't win, you didn't cover, so you get less points from the committee. You didn't cover the spread. You didn't win by what you were expected, quote-unquote, expected to win by. So, sorry, not as many points for you, whereas Alabama, who you're week in, week out, covers and blows the brakes off of everybody, save Ole Miss, they, they, they don't. It doesn't matter. So they just keep exceeding those expectations. And I think that kind of goes into what you're seeing with Cincy. Cincy's not really doing better than Vegas is, telling, is set Cincy to do. You know, and so, like, I think the committee's kind of really leaning on Las Vegas, which is a very weird situation um, to have. Yeah, I think I don't I don't know if I think it's more of these of the style points as much as the committee just trying to protect the power five. Um, I agree. That's what I that's what I think the main impetus is. And then within that, then they use the style points to kind of sort the power five teams. Um, but I think that they are seemingly intentionally protecting the power five because do, do, and, a lot and, of uh, sorry. To go your ahead. point, to your point though, they let Clemson and Notre Dame both shave a game off their schedule, and nobody said shit about it. Literally, cool they literally that. told Clemson, "You don't have to go down to Florida and play uh, Florida State anymore. Just forget about it. We'll wipe it off." And yep. nobody just get, said just get ready for the just get ready for the ACC championship game. That's all you got to do. Right? Is that not protect? You're absolutely right. I completely agree. They are protecting the power five. But I also – and I, I think you you covered – you put it all together very well. They're protecting the Power Five, but then when you get close, they kind of differentiate that into the style points. Well, and where this is going to be oh, – let me first kind of back up to the whole protecting the Power Five because not only did we see it with – it's happening with Cincy, even though any any morning that you watch College Game Day, anybody around college football talks about – Cincinnati passing the eye test, being a, a damn good team. And anytime that they get to play another one of those group of five teams, Memphis, Central Florida, um, they take advantage of those opportunities and kind of beat those teams down. Um, it also happened with BYU. Now, BYU yeah. then went and lost to Coastal Carolina, but BYU is sitting at 9-0. and And when the first rankings came out, we're down at like number 13 or something. And you're like you got two and three lost teams in the power five ahead of them. Um, and so you just see that they're really protecting the power five. Now what's going to be interesting for me that I'm the main thing I'm curious to look at because I'm sitting here going to be, let's play the assumption game. Uh, Alabama is going to play Florida, right? In the sec championship game. Correct. I assume Alabama is going to win that game. So yes. um, Ohio state's going to play Northwestern. I assume Ohio state's going to win that game. So you got two of the four spots locked in. Now you got Clemson and Notre Dame playing in the ACC championship game. Notre Dame won like a triple overtime game at home without Trevor Lawrence. 
um, a few like a month ago. So what's going to be interesting is let's I'm going to assume Clemson's going to win that game. I, I don't see a, an idea where Clemson loses to Notre Dame twice, especially now that they have Trevor Lawrence back. Um, does Clemson have to beat Notre Dame by X amount to boot Notre Dame out and let Texas A&M in? Or if Notre Dame keeps it close, they keep those four. No, I think the loser of that game is out and Texas A&M is in. As long as, Texas, as long as Texas A&M beats Tennessee and uh, Ole Miss, I think is the other team on their schedule. Uh, don't quote me. But it, Texas A&M can't blow a layup. Like they can't – I don't think Texas A&M can get into a four-overtime barn burner with Tennessee and then stay at number five. That's my point on style points is Texas A&M's got to win – handily over these bad teams in the next two weeks and then if Notre Dame loses to Clemson which I agree with you I expect that to happen too it it doesn't matter if Notre Dame loses by a field goal in the last second Texas A&M is in over Notre Dame gotcha it's gonna be interesting and ultimately this goes back to we talked about at the beginning of the season Um, it was originally brought up by David Pollock on one of the very first uh, weeks of college game day and it seems to just rain true every week as more crazy things happen. Teams lose games, teams win games, teams don't play games. This was the year that the committee and NCAA, well, really the committee because they run college football actually, um, should have blown this thing out to six or eight teams, right? Like I, every week I'm just more steadfast in that belief that this was the year to do it, to let yeah. eight teams in there and let's do this thing. When you're seeing other leagues do it, the NFL bumped it to seven teams get in. Baseball bumped it to eight teams get in the playoffs. Uh, it, it, but it, the I NBA agree. had the wild like potential one game play-in, play-in game. scenarios, yeah. right? Yes, every. But I mean, and yeah, I can already hear everybody. Well, that's college versus the pros. Yes, and there's that autonomy to control everything, and you're not playing by five different sets of rules. We've already talked about this. College is the most disjointed, corrupt, horrible, horrible organization outside of FIFA. I will say one last little point on on just the state of college athletics. Um, have you heard? Have you have you watched any college basketball games recently, specifically with Billis as the color commentator? Ooh, I watched. Yes, I've watched one. I watched the Illinois Duke game. Okay, I don't. I don't know if he said it during uh, during that game. I've heard him kind of have this conversation um, over the past two games that I've seen that he's been the color guy. Because what we're seeing a lot in, especially college athletics, the commentators are kind of playing this role of like wishing things were normal and wishing that there were more fans there and kind of just playing this role that like football is is number one nothing else really matters like don't really worry about what else is going on let's just play football let them play football maybe coaches are ducking games you know like there's all these narratives flying around right billis comes out and says hey listen we need to have a national conversation uh because let's look at what's happening in college basketball right now games are being canceled every day Every day there's college basketball games being canceled amongst blue blood programs. And he basically made the argument that now college athletes are essential workers because they're being tested every day. Health workers aren't even being able to get tested every day. College athletes are getting tested every day. College basketball players, because of the nature of their season, are being told, uh, you're not going home for Thanksgiving. You're not going home for Christmas. You can't see your family because... We really don't. But I would have argue your- a lot of them don't go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas anyway during the season. 
Not necessarily, but the the opportunity is still hypothetically there. Now, the thing that he said that was really mind-blowing to me, and he kind of just worked it in, and nobody has really kind of talked about it yet. He said there are college basketball programs and college football programs who are basically staying in hotels currently Mm -hmm. and will be staying in hotels throughout the whole season. Um, And he brought up something that we brought up from the get-go where um, the NCAA said, if there aren't students on campus, we won't play sports. That's happening. It's been happening from the get-go. So the NCAA kind of threw that one out the window. And they said, we won't play sports in bubbles. They're literally going to play March Madness in a bubble. Uh, So I think I I was just happy to hear somebody who has a platform that Billis has. He works with ESPN. Um, He's incredibly close to college basketball. He's kind of been the voice of college basketball for our entire lives. Um, I thought it was just refreshing for him to say, hey, one, he acknowledged that we know the players want to play. It's their lives. The coaches want to coach. It's their lives. There's a lot of livelihoods that revolve around these games happening, mine included, speaking as Billis. And while that, while I can agree with all of that, I also just want to say, hey, there are other things going on that we at least need to have a conversation about and not act like they aren't happening. So I thought it was just cool to finally hear somebody say that because man, it just pisses me off. Every fucking NFL broadcast, every college football broadcast, man, I wish... Wish there were more fans here for the environment. Like, can't wait to have the fans back. Well, maybe there's some steps we got to take in between, like, where we're at now and having fans in the fucking stands again. So it was just refreshing here, Billis. And, uh, well, my brain took me there, so I wanted to put it out there. I, I And sad part is I 100% agree with you, and it's not really sad. It's just sad to see kind of where we are as a society. But that's – that's uh, well, let's just end that on there. <laughs> let's get into our fantasy five of the week um so you've heard colin and i kind of like saying okay we got to keep going got to keep going that's because as some of you may be able to tell as we listen to this my brain is still a little on the foggy side so so it's bouncing around a little bit so we want to give you at least somewhat of a concise episode if we can so we're um, going to bump dedicated segments to next week yeah so yeah. we're bumping some stuff we're going to have a lot of full episodes coming up because we got a lot of stuff to talk about we got a great guest next week have to double confirm but uh should be having tommy bridger on next week to talk a lot of things basketball a lot of things canadian in your life a lot of things canada now i've heard that vancouver canada actually isn't really considered canada by the rest of canada so we'll have to ask him about that see if he takes offense to that see if he feels canadian enough well i let's just say you know i think canada has probably got things going on a little bit better over there than we do here (laughs) so Let's uh let's keep that in mind too. I'm sure Vancouver would much rather identify as Canadian than American at this point. That's true. That's true. Uh, so let's get into this week's fantasy five. We we spent some time talking about that. Unfortunately, um, Michigan and Ohio State won't be playing this year. I think it's like only the second time in the history of the game that the game will not be played. Uh, it's a rivalry that's over a hundred years old. So we want to honor that rivalry with our fantasy five of best sports rivalries. Yes. Uh, I think I'm excited for this. I think though, Ian, for us, uh, because we do, um, and I'll openly admit I do, uh, have a little bias probably toward the Michigan, Ohio game. I think we should not allow the Michigan, Ohio game to be selected because I, I think it's the number one overall selection for us. Yes. Yeah. I think that's fair. One thing I will say though, um, while we are biased and we would put that at number one, I looked at a lot of different articles that have it as like a top three from it should, no, it is. I, I, this debate's over. Like, I, ring the bell. This is over. Michigan, Ohio is the biggest rivalry in sports. Done. It's over. 
Tell the tell the tell the bailiff to send in the next case. <laughs> it's over. I like it. I like it. So with that in mind, we'll take that off our big boards. You can still know that we firmly believe that that is the uh, the pride and pride and joy of of sports rivalries. Um, Colin, you and producer be- Kennedy needs to producer Kennedy needs to let the people know that when these go out on the, oh, yeah. Yeah. the social, it it yeah. should be known. Because Michigan if people Ohio. if people see that Michigan Ohio wasn't selected, our list becomes tarnished. So, so okay, should we just scrap this and let Michigan Ohio in? Well, it's going to be the number one pick. Uh, I think we got it. We got to have it. We got to have it okay. for the integrity right. of the list. Completely scrap everything we talked about for the last minute, and y'all can just <laughs> deal with it and listen to that. We were trying to speed everything up so fast, we sped over a minute of time that we're going to completely scrap. So, Michigan Ohio's in. You be Annie, which means you get the pick here of do you want Michigan, Ohio, or do you want the number two and the three? Give it here. Give it here. Michigan, <laughs> Ohio, number one. And I and we'll use my spiel that I just went on as to why it is the number one overall pick. It's not close. Michigan, Ohio. I like it. It's uh, hard to argue. The only thing that we can hope is that uh, we can get back, turned around, and win some of these games. Hey. Also, I want to say uh, the fact that I beat Annie um, – just shows that you people are morons because I went back and looked at her list. Her statistically, her list beat the brakes off of my list. Well, this was I I, I knew that this was going to be a problem as the list was being made. Um, because even as somebody who's who's probably an above average baseball fan, there were people on her list who I had not really heard of or been familiar of. So you knew that people who were just looking at it were gonna see a couple names on your list and be like, Well, I've never even heard of some of these other people. So but we have to say Annie's list was incredible. It was. But so, but what I'm hearing is uh, you're leaning into pandering now. Is what I'm hearing. No, I, I do my research when I when I am unaware of what I'm looking at. But just not everybody does that, you know. Yeah, that's fair. And that's what you got to pander to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I'm sitting here at the two three. This is tough. Um, man, I struggle because I think that there is a distinct difference between college rivalries and professional rivalries. I agree. And there seems to be very few professional rivalries that uh, kind of garner the same feeling and the same intensity that many college rivalries do. Uh, Even if some of the the professional rivalries have been just as long and have had great moments. Um, So I'm just going to go these first two that come to mind. Number two, because I do think that it is, it would probably aptly be a number two seed. Uh, I'm going to go the the Iron Bowl, Alabama Auburn. Good pick on my big board. Completely agree. I would even go so far to say that's in college football. That's number. That's the number two rivalry in college football. I think. Yeah, one. I I, I think so as well. Um, it's an incredible game. It's been a little bit more hotly contested over the past decade than than the Michigan Ohio game has. Um, and then this one is a homer pick. Don't know where it actually would fall, uh, but I got to take Michigan, Michigan State. Yikes. See, I even going to Michigan don't even consider that a rivalry. Now, we've had this conversation off air before, uh, and I think the reason that it rides up the list so high for me is somebody who grew up in the state of Michigan because in the state of Michigan, the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry is a real, like real serious thing. Like a real, yeah, but I, real. I mean, which I hear you, but I feel like every state has that. Like I grew up in Texas, and Texas, yeah, Texas okay. A&M was the same. I don't know. It, I just, I don't know. I hear it. I just, I don't want to give Michigan State that 
that feel that fluttery feeling that they're even on the same level on anything that Michigan is. Uh, Fair enough. And I said it, come at me, at me on Twitter. If you really have beef with that statement. Uh, I'm not sure where there's many, many Sparty fans listening to this. I can think of potentially one. And he probably can't read or type a straight <laughs> sentence on Twitter. Uh, all right. Next. He's a Yankees fan too. So he loves oh, you. Perfect. Perfect. Good. He, so he enjoys cheating and deserves an asterisk and he can't win anything either. All right. Uh, all right. So you did, I agree with your statement um, that most professional, if not all professional uh, rivalries don't really hold a candle to college ones. However, I think there's one um, that is uh, head and shoulders above the rest in professional sports. Uh, and that is Yankees, Red Sox. And I'm taking that um, next. Uh, I'm actually just going right down my big board. I got my one, two, and three picks off my big board. Uh, Duke, North Carolina basketball. Um, I got Duke UNC. That one's a whole nother animal and happy to get it. Yeah, that's a good one. I I, I probably should have uh, maybe taken that one ahead of the old Michigan Sparty, but you know, I live with my list. Um, <laughs> next, I'm going to, I'm going to go to one that's maybe a little more familiar to you. I'm going to take uh, the Red River Rivalry, Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, yeah, make sure you call it the Red River Rivalry. Red River Rivalry. Uh, they'll get mad at you now if you call it the Red River Shootout because uh, guns Red kill people. Red River Rivalry is a mouthful. It, yeah, it's a tongue twister. And watching those two teams play the last decade has been a disaster <laughs> too. So yeah. It's gone from a uh, – a good game because of good teams to a good game because it's just going to be about 50 to 50 and you never really know who's going to win. Yeah. I mean, that's really the big 12 in a nutshell. Um, But I will say this for the, for the the red river, red river, the triple R, uh, (laughs) I will say say this, uh, go the playing in the cotton bowl. is really cool. I like how the way they set it up with the half burn orange, half, uh, whatever, crimson or maroon whatever the hell they oklahoma calls themselves color wise um i think it's crimson uh, i'm not sure actually i know texas a&m is the maroon and there's the maroon and burn orange but they neither team wants to play each other and they just think it's call the other ones female body part word <laughs> for not playing with each other uh but i don't know what ou's color is but yes i think that's a good pick um i would say it's the second biggest rivalry in the south so good pick uh, okay, next. I think I, I got another pick here, I think, right? Do you? Did I jump yeah, the gun? Yeah, I think I've only taken three here. Oh, my bad. Go ahead. This one this one is a little bit more of a historic rivalry. Uh, hasn't Ooh. been hasn't been played as of recently, uh, but it is highlighted gloriously in a few 30 for 30s. That's Catholics versus – oh, no, that's not even what I'm thinking of, actually. I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, but I'm going Florida State-Miami. My lead-in was incorrect, but I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going Florida State-Miami. It's like Catholics versus convicts. Notre Dame? Damn. Uh, but Florida State-Miami, okay. I, I think that's a that's a good pick. That is a very historical, but uh, a very historically like good one. So can't, can't be too mad at you there. Uh, all right. I am going to – it is my turn now, right? I'm not jumping the gun twice. Yes, you're good. Now you're getting your uh, you're rounding year. your team out here. Yeah. I, yep. And I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about what I got here. I think, um, I, you know, Ian, I've been called a man of the people. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a global presence. Uh, so I'm going to take uh, my next pick to the global scale. Oh, uh, and I'm going to take Real Madrid and Barcelona. 
Ooh, okay. As uh, my team, uh, one of the it is statistically and now, uh, then and now, sorry, is the most watched soccer football game uh, in the world outside of the Champions League championship. I mean, I've heard of both of those teams, so I could understand that they may have a rivalry. Uh, they do. Uh, it's actually <laughs> quite a big one, from what I've, from what I, my understanding is. Uh, granted, I've never lived there in Spain, but uh, here it's kind of a big deal. Uh, all right. <laughs> Lastly, I think. See, I'm torn here because you've you've kind of picked over uh, the college realm. So I think I'm going to go back to the pros. And I, I'm torn as to whether I should go with my heart or with my head. I'm doing it. I'm taking Lakers Celtics. Uh, and I'll tell you what my other choice was, and I might get roasted for it. But I'm taking Lakers Celtics. Most championships in basketball, they play each other. Magic and Larry, it goes back a while. Uh, we can even go back. It still goes on recently uh, with, I believe it was, what, 08? Nine? Yeah, was it? Uh, yeah. Nine. I think it was nine. Was that Shaq oh, and Kobe versus the big three? It was the big three, and uh, I think Shaq was already gone. But it was Kobe and Lamar Odom and that ah, ragtag yeah, yeah, bunch yeah. of misfits that Kobe yep. dragged to the finals in the West. He is known to do that. He is known mm-hmm. to do that. Rest in peace. Um, okay, I'm going to round it out here. I'm, I'm all over the place. I I'm, I'm guess I'm going all college here, not necessarily purely by design. Um, but I'm going to go Army-Navy. Ooh, good pick. Damn. I didn't even have that on my big board, but that's a great pick. I, 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 it's on me for overlooking that one. That is probably like potentially the, uh, the worst football game that gets watched the most every single year. Yeah. Uh, that it's game, not always I, a bad I, football game. That That's not what I'm, I'm saying, but I'm just I'm, saying like out of the potential talent that, on the field. I'm mad at myself. That's a great pick, like great, great pick. And, and I watch that game every year. So have to dis- burn Lundquist on the call. Disappointed in myself more than anything really but uh have to applaud the pick okay so let's run them down here um and so colin has michigan ohio the yankees red sox duke north carolina real madrid and barcelona because we are a global podcast and the los angeles lakers and boston celtics i have a very college heavy slate here alabama auburn michigan michigan state oklahoma texas florida state miami and army navy Damn, you went all college. Yeah, you know, I only had a few um, pro ones on my big board. I had Lakers, Celtics. Um, I had Red Wings, Blackhawks, but I'm not really that big of a hockey fan, so I would have felt like a poser picking that one. The only other one I added, um, and maybe just because it seems like it's it's garnered a little bit more fire in the past couple years, is I put Steelers-Browns on the list. Oh, wow. Okay, I had another. I had a professional football matchup on my big board, uh, but it wasn't Steelers Browns. And when you're going Steelers Browns, are you go, are we throwing it back to like the current Ravens Steelers? Like, because you know that was obviously a move. Or are we doing just modern day? The last, yeah, seemingly modern. And and really, where I think it comes from is, as some people may know who listen to this, I drop it all the time. I listen to the Pat McAfee show like all the time. He's from Pittsburgh. Half of his like crew of guys in the studio are from Pittsburgh. So they're diehard Steelers fans. And they talk about how that Steelers Browns is like a big, big rivalry. Um, so I've begun to kind of appreciate is like, Oh yeah. Like 
I also see Cleveland fans on Twitter sometimes. They seem to be a loud fan base that find their way onto like everybody's Twitter timeline. So I'm like, yeah, I think these two cities kind of actually don't really like each other. Yeah, I would tell you that's fair. Uh, I actually had um, Bears and Packers. I yeah, had, that, that I, had I think. That one. And after being in Chicago for a year, um, I I think that that one is fair. I think I think all of the NFC North kind of has a little bit more rivalry within it than, I would agree. than some divisions. Um, but the and Bears, maybe the NFC East too. Yes, put, put in that uh, conversation. Um, but I do think after being in Chicago that the Bears Packers. Um, is definitely kind of the uh, the most fiery one within the division and the ones that uh, Bears fans care about the most. Um, I think Packers fans probably don't give a shit either way because they're used to beating the whole division. But Everybody. You know. <laughs> How many people get fired up for the Lions game? Oh, dude, I think people love to play the Lions, including the Bears. You know who <laughs> loves to play the Lions? Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky oh. has a career because he's been able to play the Lions a couple times. He hasn't played well in any game other than against the Lions outside of his rookie year when they had like the best defense in football. But seriously, you look past his rookie year, basically the only good games that he's played has been against the Detroit Lions. Still one of the best nicknames in all of sports. MVP Mitch? Uh, no, Kiss and Titty. <laughs> I like them both. I like them both. Anything else on your big board that we didn't hit? Uh, I had, I, I, like you said, I felt like a poser, but I had Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, uh, just because you know me, I like to say um, down goes Frazier regularly. Uh, but I had that one, but I'm not really a big boxing guy, and I think boxing has died as a sport, so I didn't include it. Uh, I also had the Red Wings rivalry on there, but much like you, um, I didn't. I would feel like a poser and didn't want to pick it. Uh, but I had him with the Avalanche. I don't know if I'm off base because I put him with the Red Wings Avalanche was the rivalry I used. So when we were kids, the Red Wings Avalanche was big because they basically always met in the I think it was the Western Conference Finals right. at the time, right? Uh, it was. Uh, it was like Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, Patrick Waugh taking on Chelios Iserman and. The boys from Detroit. Better off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the one to me as a kid too. Um, but I have some friends who are bigger Red Wings fans than I am, and they've talked about the Blackhawks rivalry. And then, of course, also being in Chicago, um, that is the kind of Detroit team that Chicago fans do hate is the Red Wings. So I think that the longevity of the Blackhawks, Red Wings, um, and probably its ability for like the more true fans it is a little realer than the Red Wings avalanche, but no, I completely agree. When I was a kid and the Red Wings were, were kind of really running shit. Um, the Red Wings abs was a huge rivalry. We have family friends who are from Michigan and are Red Wings fans that live in, in Denver and live in Colorado. And they talked about it being a, a big thing at the time. So I, I don't think that's super off base, but fans of hockey that are bigger than us would probably say Red Wings Blackhawks is, is the one to go. Yeah. I, I mean, that sounds about right. But uh, I, I, have we talked about hockey enough to declare ourselves a hockey podcast? I don't know how we've done it, but I, we have. Now, the only two that I also had on my big board that I wanted to bring out, because they are bigger college games. Um, what is it, like the world's best barbecue, Georgia, Florida, seems to seems to play well down in the south. Uh, and then I did put Catholics Conflicts, uh, Miami versus Notre Dame, the uh, impetus for one of the greatest T-shirts of all time. I, I can't believe we didn't include uh, the Oregon, Washington, or Oregon, Oregon State. Uh, 
<laughs> I just wasn't impressed, man. I, I can't. Like, I can't even say it with a straight face. It's just the when you go to Michigan and see Michigan, Ohio, and then you go to Oregon, and then they tell you, "Oh yeah, we are big rivals with Washington," and then the just the big lackluster another Saturday that they put on when Washington rolls to town. It just doesn't feel like yeah, I wasn't. Rivalry. I just wasn't sold by it, you know. No. And they had the chance to sell us. We were we were in the heart of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, but. Then, uh, yeah, there's just a lot about that. 70 to 21. You know who I think what Oregon seems to get up the most for is when they get the chance to go on down and play USC. They do. They absolutely do. Uh, But does USC – who does USC care more about, UCLA or Oregon? Yeah, I guess UCLA. I would argue they probably say neither, but who knows. Yeah, good point. USC cares about Notre Dame, Stanford. Not even yeah. Stanford. They care about Notre Dame, basically. I think, and they don't even play in the conference. So no, <laughs> and it's, that's yeah. It's similar to the Texas Texas A and M. They don't even play in the same conference anymore. But they all they keep up with what's going on at Texas in Austin. They know what's going on in College Station. Don't you worry. <laughs> you got to if you're. It's not a rivalry unless your fa- the uh, opposite fans are actually happy when you lose more so than when they win. Exactly. Like I vehemently hate Ohio vehemently hate them like and I uh, that's why I can't really get behind the whole Michigan Michigan State thing because like really I don't I see Michigan State as lessers sorry uh but like the Ohio like there is a blood boiling in my gut that's just terrible toward Ohio I feel it I feel it for both brother um let's go ahead and get on out of here this is episode 30 Ooh. Now yeah. I do have a, uh, I don't know if I'm get behind that one. I don't really want to, but I, that's, he's the first 30 that came to mind. So he's the pandering pick. Steph is okay. the pandering pick. Now I have a uh, down home close to the heart. My pops, my pops, Papa Jeff. Oh. Wore number 30 for the Otsego Bulldogs as a running back linebacker. Uh, so I've always associated number 30 with my pops. It's always been his number. Um, so is his Twitter handle Papa Burley thirty? No, he does have a Twitter though. I don't think he uses it much. Um, but I don't actually know what his handle is. You it's probably like that three zero in the Twitter. Three <laughs> zero, the Big Show. Uh, hey, I love it. I'm all about it. Uh, Big Jeff, that's who we're going with for <laughs> for episode thirty. My middle namesake. Gotta love it. Um, so episode thirty. Can't believe we've done thirty. It's incredible. Excited for the ones to come. Like we said, uh, we'll have some more jam-packed episodes coming up here to round out the holiday season and big plans going into 2021. Super excited uh, for everybody. Huge. <laughs> Huge. Who <laughs> was super excited for everybody to come along with the ride. Should be having our boy Tommy Bridger on next week to talk a lot of things basketball, a lot of other guests kind of in the works that we're excited to bring to you and kind of allow them to share their perspective and their stories. Until then, though, This has been another episode of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep right on a swivel. Try not to get laid the fuck out. And also don't have to have two surgeries on your knee. (laughs) 